Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1293 to infinity and, well, yonder. (laughs) Our podcast title is Pod in the Shell 2020. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we're going off into that wild blue yonder, well, beyond that, mm-hmm. into the black, as they say, in Firefly and Serenity. And we are talking about Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to say it in that voice, don't you? With like yeah. a <laughs> yeah, you got to get the buzz. Got to take exactly that, take that buzz for light years. And um, yeah, well. It's a new Netflix series, and uh, Steve Carell is the man. Yes, who indeed. It. So I think it's um it's one of those shows that's sort of a vehicle for him, but it does have an interesting cast of characters attached as well, uh, as we kind of follow their hijinks. Well, we know Steve Carell, of course, from The Office, the American version, um, and the Get Smart movie too, where he was playing the uh, the opponent. Maxwell, of- no. Maxwell Smart? No. Yeah, Maxwell Smart, Agent 86. And here he is is in control once again. Uh, He's playing a general in this case, uh, which is um, something of a promotion from being a control agent. (laughs) Now, he... Not quite the, yeah, not quite the job he thought he was getting, but uh, we'll get to that. Okay, so it's created by Steve Carell and Greg Daniels, and we know Greg from uh, Parks and Recreation. He's one of the guys behind that. Uh, also, he's worked on The Office, Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, and King of the Hill. I've not actually seen King of the Hill. I had watched it when it was on TV when I was younger just because it was it was on. I remember almost nothing about it. But those other shows are pretty solid comedy staples. Mm. And so here we are with, a, with essentially a science fiction space comedy. Now that's... Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Loose on the science sometimes. <laughs> yes. Now, now uh, this has got uh, how many episodes on Netflix? Was it 10 or 12? Something Ten. like that. 10. 10, yeah. And the uh, the thing about this show is, well, it's it's entering the stakes, the area of a lot, lot of other science fiction space comedies. There's been quite a few that have come before. Um, one mm. early one I remember from the 60s was It's About Time which was actually set back in the prehistoric age, but it, um, it involved two astronauts going back in time and getting stuck with dinosaurs and uh, cavemen. And it, wasn't, it wasn't a great show. It had a good, um, good theme song like they all did back in the 60s. Uh, then there was um, uh, Lost in Space, which kind of mm-hmm. ends up as a comedy in the uh, – towards the end of the first season and definitely in the second and third ones. I know it's supposed to be a, a drama, but, well, you know. <laughs> uh, Quark, of course, um, uh, which was about an interstellar garbage ship. 
There was a, a British one called Astronauts, which the um, the guys from the goodies created. Oh, and, cool. Uh, Red Dwarf. <laughs> of course. <laughs> which, which has spanned several decades now. Hyperdrive was a more recent one. Uh, the very well-known Orville, kind of a send-up of Star Trek, and sometimes out doing it um, in the serious dramatic stakes occasionally. Uh, there's a new one called Avenue 5 about a cruise liner in space. Interesting. Okay. With, Haven't uh, checked that one out. With Hugh Laurie, I think. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of animated series, uh, Futurama, Other Space, Tripping the Rift. So it's territory that um, people have encountered before. And as you can tell by the title, it's called Space Force, and mm-hmm. that is the, the the sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces, and uh, it's called the, formerly known as the, the USSF. And... This is one of those dodges that, um, one of those, don't look at me, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, well, when things are going wrong, look, here's Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, it tells you a lot about President Trump that he can actually sour me upon the idea of a Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. How- it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> How very dare he muck that up for me. <laughs> now that, very true, very true. Very true, you know. Um, so I think there should be an official anthem for Space Force and as much as I'd say this would be a great a great opportunity for me to write a filk song and then karaoke it for you, somebody else has got there first. Um, some lads from a, a group called Zen Fuse Box. It's Space Force, the official anthem. Hello, Nimrods. <laughs> this is Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And I'm Meatwad, a key member of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And guess what? You're listening to Zero G. On 3 RFM, Australia's only real classic rock, right? You do classic rock I here, right? I thought this was easy listening. Ah, uh, whatever. It don't matter. I'll talk all the time. We're butt with music. Three triple RFM. And no one will defeat the quad laser. <laughs> when when you get um, animated voice actors in to, <laughs> to do your ID cards, they just let it rip, basically. Okay, that that was uh, Space Force, the official anthem. Uh, it's by Zen Fusebox from Space Force, the official album single. So there you go. Uh, and off we go into space with the SF, and that's the, the new Netflix series, Steve Carell being the co-creator along with Parks and Recreation's Greg Daniels, which um, also has Chris Pratt in it, doesn't it? Um, yes. Yep. Yeah, his pre-Star-Lord days. All right, so basically Space Force is one of those um, shows which we call workplace comedies. So it doesn't stray too far from that. Um, So, yes, there is political satire because, well, we live in the time when that is just such a low-hanging fruit at the moment. We don't have to reach too far for that one. No, it's true. Everything is is already pretty much a joke. Yes. Uh, Okay, so Steve Carell plays General Mark R. Naird, and he, he's he's uh, putting on a voice that's a little bit like um, 
George C. Scott's uh, General Buck Turgidson from um, Dr. Strangelove or How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love the Bomb. And there's actually quite a bit of that influence in this television show, at least production-wise. Yeah. You've got, mm-hmm, you know, you've got mm-hmm. command centres and the big rooms and, and the sort of space age design. It feels very much like that kind of thing. And there's a and very informed by fiction. I think they've sort of had this thing where they're constantly referencing different science fiction, fantasy type movies, and incorporating that into their environment and what they're doing. Like, oh, I wish we had this or we had that or whatever. So it's obviously like, oh, this is from the movies. This would be cool. Let's let's do that here, kind of thing. There's there's a stage where um, Steve uh, Carell goes for a bit of a jog around the interior of a space habitat and it's just like um, the 2001 scene with the carousel of mm-hmm. discovery. So it basically opens up with um, General Nair getting the job, essentially. He's picked to be the head honcho of Space Force. He has to set up in a move from Washington to go to a secret base in Colorado, which is, you know, it's, it's uh, reachable by a, a mountain tunnel. But but you can still see it from satellite by satellite because it's just in a valley. But but the other powers don't need to do that anyway because there's a, a multinational um, crew of scientists working there anyway. So if they wanted to slip some spies in, they don't even need <laughs> to do that. They've got a Russian advisor, a Russian advisor called Yuri, um, because all this is kind of supposed to be a multinational type thing. But but the US is out there. They want boots on the moon by what was it twenty twenty four. Mm-hmm. And as Carell says, boots on the moon. Okay, look, the boots may not actually be made in America, but there will be American feet in those boots. <laughs> He's a four-star general, and so he outranks just about everybody around him. But it doesn't seem to always be to much good effect. No. <laughs> He's a bit of a buffoon, but a well-meaning one, which is where yeah, raises some interesting thoughts of mine regarding the show, but we'll get to that. Mm. Um Ned is a is a is a good character. He's got a lot a lot going for him. Um, when he gets stressed, he starts singing popular songs to himself as mm-hmm. yeah. as, as sort of a, a relief. He's got the usual sort of troubled family and how a rebellious teenage <laughs> daughter uh, and his wife. Now his wife is enduring a bit of a setback, and I won't tell you what it is. But suffice to say that. It's one of those running jokes that gets under your skin from the first episode and you throughout, <laughs> throughout the entire 10 episodes of the first season. I really wanted to know what had happened. Yep, yep. <laughs> now, I don't know if they're going to continue this on, you know, it's like the elephant in the room, but in sitcom terms, mm. it's the uh, the Wilson. McGuffin. Well, the Wilson over the fence, like the character in uh. the in uh, the Tim Allen comedy, is it Tult? Home Improvement. Home Improvement, yeah. Who we never saw his face, or like Maris in Frasier. Um, so there's a his wife has a difficulty, and it's a fascinating one, and it it does cause lots of problems in the family. And we do, and, and and I googled it afterwards, and and there's so many people who want to know what's going on. They'll never tell. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So okay, so we've got the the, the several elements blended into this show. So. We've got mm. the somewhat bumbling but well-intentioned um, general. He came from the Air Force, by the way. Um, so part of his solution to all problems tends to be something involving bombs. You know, that's that's where he comes from. As he says to his uh, to his uh, colleague and now friend, 
Dr. Adrian Mallory, played by John Malkovich. And that, mm. that was a surprise. As he says to him, look, not everything is w- World War II and not everything is Vietnam. So some of the solutions sort of come out of left field. <laughs> I think Carell is great as Ned. In fact, he, he is um, he's exactly where he needs to be for this. Not, not like his character in The Office, more decisive, more likeable actually. Yeah, I think that's some of the problem I had with the show actually is that I felt he was too likeable uh-huh. and we're too empathetic towards him. And I think it would have been a sharper show if it had more satire and less of the heartwarming stuff personally. No, I think I think you're right there. I, I found that they did get a bit, um, well, space hokey occasionally. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think that the relationship, the, the chemistry between Steve Carell and John Malkovich on screen is great. I mean, who knew that Malkovich was such a, a fine comedian? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I and mean, he he gets he, he gets a lot out of some of the lines, and let's let's be honest, some of the lines aren't so great in this show, uh, and that is a problem. Okay, I I would not put it in my category of it's not like Thirty Rock, Thirty Rock, or uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or Frasier or anything like that, where the dialogue just sparkles constantly. Um, I'm not even sure it's up to it's not up to the Office Parks and Rec standards either, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It does get some extra points for me for being a space-based comedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have put a lot of effort into making the space component of this look really good. You know, the, Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah. And I suspect that the writers and uh, everybody involved are all sort of wannabe astronauts anyway. You know, yeah. <laughs> who wouldn't be? You know, as, as Megan was saying before, there are lots of references to um, uh, other shows like Eating Potatoes. Surviving, mm-hmm. surviving on potatoes in space habitats. Um, uh, they do actually mention um, uh, assorted things from the Marvel Cinematic Universe along the way, which, you know, gets extra points for me, especially when they mention um, Iron Man, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> it's a very of-the-minute TV show. Like it's not one of those shows that is kind of nebulously set roughly in modern times. Like it's certainly set firmly in the now. Yeah. And I think it won't date very well for multiple reasons, but I thought that was an interesting choice. And I think obviously the concept being based on something in reality, they've just gone, look, well, we're going to put everything into this, push it out, and it will just be kind of a time capsule reflection, which I think is interesting. I think a lot of shows don't necessarily do that anymore. They play a bit safe. One of the things that's great about this show is its actual soundtrack. They're very, mm. they're very good at picking out space-related tracks. Mind you, there's a lot of them. The the entire space age was peppered with them at all at all times, and so let's have a track here that, that's in the movie. Sorry, in the series, uh, "Spaceman" by Harry Nilsson, and it's um, from his "Son of Schmilson" album. Triple R. Zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> that was Harry Nilsson from Son of Schmilson and playing Spaceman there, one of the songs that's featured in the, the pretty good soundtrack of Space Force. <laughs> Actually, that that kind of sums up my feelings about Space Force. It's certainly not excellent. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay. 
You know, I've I've, <laughs> I've watched a lot worse. It's mm, it's mm. a a little bit vanilla, uh, or or frozen frozen space ice cream. You know, um, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Like it's the definition of it's fine. Yeah. I think um, it sits a bit in the middle ground. I think if it had pushed harder down the satire road or pushed a bit harder to be um, a certain type of political, I think it would have been a better show, like something like a brain dead that like, you know, embraces some of those things and makes you feel reflective and while being funny and, but also, you know, pushes it a little, or if it had just gone, okay, we're going to be a feel good thing. We just happen to be set here. It's an office comedy. Everyone's happy, like a warm, cozy show, like a community or a parks and rec, but it doesn't go down either of those roads and just kind of hovers in the middle. And I think if it had made more of a concerted decision, I think it would have been risen above the it's fine level. So I think I agree on on your sort of assessment as well that it was it was it was okay. I've watched worse. I've watched better. I've watched it all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just found myself just floating through all ten episodes, and I thought that's all right. I I, I still want to know what the deal is with um, the general's wife. And there were some really. There were some actually really good lines that did make me chuckle, like um, when he, when the general's uh, talking to Washington, he says, "I need some advice from the administration," <laughs> and and whoever is the president in this show, it, well, it, it sounds pretty much like Trump. You know, he's a, he's a, he's the you know, president's just tweeted a new policy. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there was a good yeah. a good line when they were up up at, in, at the Senate in. Uh, in front of the congressional hearings about budgets and they were um, talking about uh, how much Space Force was costing and and the, mm-hmm. and the first lady or maybe the first lady's daughter, I can't quite remember how they set it up, uh, wanted to design the uniforms for Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> See, now I thought those moments were, were, um, were funny. They made me laugh out loud. Uh, visual gags for the most part, some of those ones. But there was a, a senator at this congressional hearing who said, uh, you know, he was he was really, really uh, uh, complimentary about Space Force and he really just, uh, he just says to uh, the general, I feel safer knowing that we have satellites that can rain holy hellfire on this flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great line. Possibly the one that made me laugh the most in the whole show, and now I spoiled it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or we've saved you from having to watch the whole show for that line. Yeah. Um, you know, put it on while you fold the washing. It's it's very watchable, like you said. You can easily knock off a couple of episodes and not feel mad about it. Mm. So, and it's it's funny. Like you feel like you're uh, a sense of uh, deja vu because having just watched um, for all mankind that alternate history mm. science fiction series. Um, there's elements of this that remind me of that because there are competing powers in space. Uh, uh, they're all trying to get a moon base built, um, and this causes hilarity, you know. So, yeah. Uh, look, I don't think this is – I think this hasn't quite found its feet yet. If they get to a second season and, they anal- if they, and they're honest and they analyse what they've done – They'll, they should be able to get the range better. I know. I know it's twenty twenty, and usually it's like three episodes, and you're out of there if it's um, if it doesn't quite measure up. But I, I'm willing to give this one a little bit more time because it is a space comedy, 
and I, mm. I do enjoy those. You know, how we've had entire dud seasons of Red Dwarf occasionally. So That's true. Not everything can be the one season of Firefly. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, what if there was another season and it was crap? Exactly. We have perfection and we should just be happy we had it at all. Yes, yes. Embrace the serenity. All right. Uh, now, I've got actually a, a track next, although it was written by our friend, Mr. David Bowie, our mentor, our inspiration. This one uh, was actually performed and covered by Chris Hadfield, a real live astronaut. And he actually famously um, played this on his guitar when he was up on the International Space Station. I think this one's a little bit more polished. And it's from his um, album, Space Sessions, Songs from a Tin Can. And it's Chris Hadfield's version of Mr. Bowie's Space Oddity. Hi, I'm Steve Squires. I worked on the Mars Exploration Rovers, Voyager, Magellan, and Cassini space missions, and I wrote the book Roving Mars. So if anyone should understand Zero-G, think it would be me. Nah, sorry. Zero-G, science fiction and fantasy radio on 3 FM. Colonel Chris Hadfield, uh, retired astronaut, um, Royal Canadian Air Force, and all those great things there floating out there covering space oddity, actually done in space aboard the International Space Station. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Space Sessions is the album, Songs in a Tin Can. (laughs) Pretty pleasant little cover, that one. Yeah. Makes me makes me wonder if like when you you playing can you pl- you can play air guitar in a spacecraft so long as you've got air <laughs> you know so yeah very cool um, I did want to just wrap up quickly on um, the space force uh, space comedy show on Netflix um, mm-hmm. uh, I really really impressed by their production values from their special effects to their costumes which were um, mm-hmm. appropriately amusing at times. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, through to their, let's call it cinematography, which often, often referenced other movies and television shows. Uh, and just the general um, <laughs> general uh, sense that it was a, 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 a high-quality production. I know it was a comedy, but they didn't seem to be sparing any expense. And that's Well, Netflix doesn't spare any expense, <laughs> generally. Yeah. Generally, who's that? Is that like major disaster? <laughs> so yeah, um, look, it, it, it's watchable, uh, and it need it need to sharpen its um, sharpen its nose cone a little bit more in some areas. Uh, and I don't feel that the characters were, apart from um, Malkovich and Carell, who were excellent together. I don't think that the rest of the characters have quite gelled yet in terms of the relationship. No. And I think as well, if you're going to have like make a point to satirize caricature kind of um, characters of international, you know, international type characters, like don't then actually sideline them as not real characters. I don't know. I thought that was interesting um, that they've really funneled a lot of their energy into some characters and then everyone else is just background noise, really. Oh, yeah. Of course, they've got. Um... Uh, is it Kudrow? How do I pronounce yes, it? Yes, Lisa yeah. Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow from Friends. Yes. Yeah. She plays the wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think there are th- some things that they should uh, be addressing before they get into a second season of Space Force. 
because the gold standard for that kind of this particular kind of um, government organization workplace comedy type thing for this one i think it's actually the australian show utopia which is really really a high 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 class show and absolutely hilarious and 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 bitterly bitterly cynical <laughs> anyway all right let's move on to another show and again i'm I'm not apologizing it's on it is on Netflix and because I, I really wanted to have a look at this one Ghost in the Shell SAC which stands for Stand Alone Complex 2045 is it I think yeah yes underscore 2045 yeah and that they 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 like to uh they like to call these the Ghost in the Shells different um standalone complexes for each different uh let's call them seasons there are adaptations of these as movies as well, where they sort of uh, munge it all together. And, of course, it's originally based on uh, Masamune Shiro's manga Ghost in the Shell. Uh, we all know that there was a, um, a not particularly wonderful movie, live-action movie based on it with um, Scarlett Johansson playing uh, the main character. Well, look, that, again, there's another movie that had great production values. yes much controversy um i think very warranted indeed but i mean aside from that it just didn't really hit the mark as a film in in a lot of ways as well it was very disappointing so yeah some of it looked great but so there have been various um incarnations of this throughout the years as i said uh season one and a season two and these these um movies that have been put out novels short stories the manga video games, action figures. It's wildly popular. Originally, it was based upon a unit called Public Security Section 9 in in a future Japan. Basically, um, they do all sorts of jobs that uh, involve uh, investigating cybercrime and terrorism, and often, quite often, the two. They're often chasing um, uh, individuals who are either terrorists or cyber hackers or both. The Laughing Man... Uh, you know these sorts of these sorts of ideas plug into quite literally into the show where everybody in the main, amongst the main cast are highly cybernetically enhanced, either to the point of full body replacements with um, with android bodies or uh, partial. Sometimes people will just have um, uh, robot eyes, that sort of thing. They're all able to do um, to link in via sockets on the back of their necks most often. But um, in this new series, they can use Wi-Fi. <laughs> but they have to be careful because they can be hacked over that. So, you know, uh, they also, uh, so you've got these, this, this core unit of people who were split up in after the earlier adventures. Uh, and this one takes place after there's been a war on Earth, a series of wars, the sustainable wars, not the sustainability wars, but wars that corporations designed to, Boost the economy? Gosh, who'd have thunk of that? <laughs> it's actually just got a name now. It's um, it's it's what's always been happening, really, when you think about it. <laughs> so it's a little too close to home, yeah. But but you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> dystopia comes ever closer. And and this um this new one um, uh, standalone complex twenty forty five takes place in that year, uh, and it starts off in in the somewhat less than United States. Um, the major and her unit are all off there, uh, basically being mercenaries, um, yeah. sort of like a, a, a different corporation. 
uh, of course, the uh, the you could not have Ghost in the Shell without that character herself, uh, Motoko Kusanagi, um, played in the uh, in the Japanese language version because it's an, a CGI animated series. Uh, this time round, Atsuko Tanaka. Uh, if you listen to the the actually quite good English dub on this, uh, Mary Elizabeth McLean plays her in that. And I and as I was saying um, last week during our Korean um, uh, television series based show, I, I've been listening to this. I've been watching it alternatively across the episodes. Uh, and there are twelve, by the way, um, in the English language dub, and then in the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I yeah. want to get the feeling. Um, the one characters who pretty much don't change in the sounds of their voices across each show are the think tanks, which are basically um, small armoured vehicles that look like spiders but can carry a human being in the, uh, in, in the, uh, the pod at the back. But they're basically independent sentient tanks and they all speak in high-pitched little kid voices. Which yes, was, they have very like kawaii kind of cute yeah. baby voices, basically. Yeah. If it was any other kind of Japanese cartoon, they probably would have um, little collars with bells around their necks and cat ears. You know. <laughs> possibly, I mean, there's still time. <laughs> there's still time, and possibly also be wearing sailor suits. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, they're part of the uh, they're part of the uh, iconography of Ghost in the Shell, and I wouldn't I wouldn't lose them for anything because they're they're kind of fun, and it, and it's kind of like giving um, uh, little kids um, bazookas and machine guns and stuff because that's just, it's just the way they literally roll. There, there's a lot of other stuff in this show that's um, that's very very uh, traditional for Ghost in the Shell. Uh, they have a stealth camouflage invisibility, invisibility shield um, that they can wear f- when they're going on missions, and so do the tanks too. They can do that too. And essentially, this one that's set in the United States to begin with, they do get back to Japan later on, um, they're fighting against, guess what, more high-powered corporate um, villains. But it, in this case, it's what they call the post-humans, who are actually quite... Uh, dangerous. They're like um, they're like the genetically enhanced superhumans from Star Trek. You know, like Khan's people, um, but even 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 more enhanced than that. Like they can dodge bullets. Um, mm. They can literally dance around bullets, uh, and they're they're very hard to take down. The CGI is great. I mean, I really enjoyed the way they've done it. They haven't gone too much for the uh, uncanny valley. You're definitely, mm. you definitely know you're looking at drawn characters still, um, mm, right, mm, right down mm. to the lines on their cheeks, which at first I thought was scars, <laughs> but it's actually their cheekbones. I'm not a hundred percent sure about the style, and I think it's just because I'm used to that more two D anime. But I think they've done a very, very good job with it, and I agree with you. I think they have that nice fine line between it clearly being an animation and not falling into the uncanny valley trap. But I think it's just because I'm not used to it. I haven't watched a lot of, of um, animation like that for a while. And so it kind of threw me a bit, but I'm not, I wasn't completely thrown. And I think it's unfair for people to judge it based on the fact it is a different style as well. Yeah. Well, let's have a quick track here. Um, I think we're going to go for uh, a track that's called Motoko Kusanagi. And this is by N2V, and it's from a a single. 
This is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walkaway, and you are listening to Zero-G on 3RRR. Yeah, a major track there about Motoko Kusanagi by NTV, and it's um, a single, so same title. It's a, a robo-ponymous. Uh, now, we're talking about Ghost in the Shell, SAC 2045, which is the latest entry in the long-running Ghost in the Shell anime series saga. And, you know, this actually has been running for quite some time now, many, many decades. Obviously, uh, things have taken over. Uh, things have become superseded in um, technology. So what actually was a cutting-edge cyberpunk show back in the day now appears rather dated, but they have amped that up for this one. So there's lots of things, extra things in here like um, uh, insect-sized drone surveillance units, um, uh, uh, drone gunships that are basically like mini helicopters, uh, all sorts of things that um, I felt made this uh, come up to the moment. There's a lot of social commentary in this too. Um, they had a, uh, as I was saying, a, the sustainability wars <laughs> that were part, a key part of the, the sort of almost um, post-apocalyptic setup for parts of this. It looked like mm. it laid waste to a large section of the United States from which it actually was recovering. Um also, uh, the simultaneous global default, which knocked out um, uh, paper and electronic files, um, and so there's been there are actually things that are quite up to the minute in this show. So I did appreciate that. My mm. my big problem though is that compared to the previous Ghost in the Shell standalone complexes, it's not very complex. No, those shows are baroque. <laughs> And don't try, <laughs> don't try and fix them either because one of the things that we liked about those shows is that whether you're watching a dubbed version or one in the original Japanese without subtitles, it sometimes made no sense whatsoever. You had to go back and watch it several times to try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I liked, I liked that. I'm not, I'm not mistaking um, um, opaqueness for complexity. But once you did go back and disentangle them, they did actually have some some quite serious philosophical points to make. And, of course, always, always addressing that central core concept of what is man and what is machine, or in the major's case, what is woman and what is machine. And I thought that they addressed that constantly, tirelessly throughout those series. Now, they are attempting to do that in this series um, Mm. with the post-humans and how they relate. Uh, but mm. I, but I think they um, I think that they have uh, they've done rather well in in capturing mostly for the most part the ghost in the shell sort of feeling. It's just that they haven't gone that extra that extra piece to get to the to the complexity of the original show, and that's a pity. Yeah, yeah. I think it left me feeling a bit cold as well, just in terms of I didn't find it as engaging or interesting straight away. Yeah. I think some of the good stuff that you like is there, but um, I'm not that surprised to hear that it it was a little underwhelming overall. There's some there's some interesting stuff further in as well. There's a there is a fight with one of those post humans that is absolutely mind boggling. Um, and you have to stop and think, I'm watching an animated show here, but that's really cool. 
Uh, and mm. it, it reminds me of, of some of the best of, um, of battles that you have in, uh, in anime series occasionally when it really just like knocks you down, quite literally in this case. Uh, and actually it looked like because they've got robot um, guard dogs, it reminded me of Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little too close to home that one. <laughs> it was actually, yeah. So um, again, I, I've I've powered through this to about ten episodes or something like that. Um, I don't think it's the best entry in the series, and to be honest, given the high quality of some of the other ones, just in terms of the plotting and the uh, yeah. and the strength of the signature of the themes in this, I think this may be the the lower quality one in the series. Nevertheless, I'm. I'm kind of stoked to get back into the world of Section 9 and see all some of these old char- favourite characters again, um, you know, the Chief and uh, Balto and everybody, especially the Takachi, <laughs> the Think Tanks. I just love those. They're just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ghost in the Shell, standalone complex. Look, if you're a real fan of the show, um, you might be a bit disappointed. But then again, there's lots to see and do in this one in terms of of uh, the new style with it. And and if you're a purist, you'll just go, oh, I can't stand that. It's like watching, uh, it's like comparing old Thunderbirds to new Thunderbirds. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how um, it plays out as I, I, I finish off the final episodes. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it anyway. And there's a bank robbery that takes place in it, uh, a good old-fashioned bank robbery that is actually quite funny when you consider the how it plays out. It almost reminds me of a Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing where, <laughs> where they get caught up in uh, in a crime and end up helping the criminals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, that's um, uh, 12 epi- episodes on Netflix. Ghost in the Shell, SAC underscore 2045. Yep. What's with the underscore? <laughs> oh, yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's um, we're just about it for zero G for today. We are going to go out with a track here called "Locked Inside." I was thinking of Ghost in the Shell. I was thinking of um, androids and robots, and of course, because uh, Janelle Monae, when she did this uh, album, "The Arch Android," she was sort of riffing off um, the uh, the robot from Metropolis. So there's there's elements of that all throughout this. And, of course, Janelle Monet is a very much a, a science fiction geek, first class amongst all of her absolutely staggering number of other accomplishments. You know, she's in the, um, she's in the second season. Is it the second season or at least another season of that uh, science fiction series, Homecoming? Um, oh, cool. One, she's taken over, sort of taken over the Halle Berry um, uh, kind mm. of thing in that. So, yeah, she's just an amazing uh, actress and um, – composer and just so many other things anyway janelle monet's locked inside from the arch android this is the deluxe version not the touring album and joe brunatic coming up next with astral glamour thank you megan thank you rob g'day this is rob jan thanks for listening to the podcast of triple r zero g a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.